Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. everyone, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I am one of your hosts, Gianna Whitford, here with probably the best co-host in the world. Most definitely the best co-host in the world, Maria Velasquez. <laughs> 99% the best co-host in the world. Round up. And we are so excited because we have one of the very best guests in the world. He is a longtime Cybersecurity Marketing Society member. He's been here, I think, since the beginning. He hosts our Wednesday morning coffee chats with the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. You know him. You love him. He's the creator of the Diamond Award in our community. It is Andy Gorginis, and he is the Senior Product Marketing Manager at Sphere. Andy, did I pronounce your name right? No, but that's no, okay. No, that's amazing. I mean, Gorginis, that, let's just keep it. Let's keep I it. mean, oh. keep it? you may have betrayed some of your feelings about me, but it's pronounced Gorginis. <laughs> Andy Gorgeousinis. <laughs> All right, everyone. If you're looking to generate quality cybersecurity leads and opportunity pipeline for your sales team, webinars are the channel you need to be leveraging. Lead Gen webinars bring you real live audiences in your target ICP with engagement you can measure, something other channels just can't match. Actual tech an official lead generation partner of the Cybersecurity Marketing Society specializes in fully turnkey cybersecurity webinar programs with CPLs far below what you're used to. Everyone, I have spent a lot of money on webinars and lead generation in the past. And I gotta say, I was really impressed with Actual Tech. I saw the results of those webinars that they've been running for cybersecurity audiences, and I was impressed with the lead quality and the lead quantity. So visit actualtechmedia.com backslash CMS or hit today's show notes for more information. Tell us a little bit about how you got into your position, your product marketing role at Sphere. Tell yeah. us your story. Well, I got into cybersecurity a few years ago. And as you know, shortly after I got into cybersecurity, I went looking for resources, and that's how I found the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. And I started out as a generalist, like a director of marketing for a small startup, the old one-person show where you do everything. And that's a good role to transition into other roles from because you know how to do everything and you understand how everything works. So it helps you play nice with other parts of a marketing org, a bigger marketing org. So I found myself in PR and comms within the cybersecurity industry. And after a layoff and a couple of layoffs, I started to notice that product marketers were like hot, like everybody wanted a product marketer. Even when people were laying off other parts of their marketing team, they were still hiring product marketers. And so I thought, well, I know how to position a product. I know how to 
drive campaigns and write content and do battle cards and all that stuff. So I could be a product marketer. I mean, why not? Right. So that's kind of how I started to move into product marketing. And since then, I've become kind of passionate about helping other specialists in marketing roles that are getting laid off or are RIF threatened how to like pivot and transition into PMM roles. That's really cool. What are some things that you're helping with? What's the advice that you're giving if you can share a few? Yeah. I mean, the big thing is, is just kind of, especially for people who come from content and comms backgrounds, they're near and dear to my heart because that's what I came from. And that's like, if I were to pick a function within marketing at large, that's still probably my favorite thing to do. But I was talking to people who went through RIFs and they're looking for comms roles and they're out there, but there's not a lot of them. And at a lot of orgs, even at big orgs, they might only have one, right? But then a big org will have 10 or 12 product marketers under a director of product marketing. Like, a, you know, it's a big piece of the org and there's a lot more open roles there. So I just decided to kind of coach folks on taking like that market positioning and then drilling in a layer or two, right? Like you're used to talking about it big picture because that's where PR and comms lives is like kind of at front. But if you're talking about product, especially if you're talk- even talking about product in a PR role, it doesn't take that much to kind of like get a little more technical and kind of dive into like the individual kind of nitty gritty value props that live within the larger value prop that you would normally be talking about as a comms comms person. That makes sense. So that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I was telling people to do, you know, or have been telling people to do is really focus on what you were doing before with positioning, but then drilling in a little bit so that you kind of capture the, the, the next layers down of what the product does or in the case of its services, which is less common these days, but what it does and what the benefits are, because you're still telling the same story. You're just telling it a little bit more deeply, if you will. Makes a lot of sense. I bet a big part of that is having the right relationships internally with those subject matter experts and being a fly on the wall in a lot of calls, right? And just taking it all in. That's definitely true. And I mean, I know from my own experience, like, When I was a senior manager of PR and comms, I was regularly setting up subject matter expert interviews and writing like speaking submissions and all of that stuff. You're talking about the same topics. You know, if you're submitting a speaking submission for OWASP or B-Size or something, you're talking about AppSec. You know what I mean? You're talking about AppSec at a layer that's deeper than just, hey, we do AppSec, you know, this is our platform. You're talking about what the product does, what the challenges and needs and issues that you're fixing or helping fix within the market. And it's a logical transition to me. I mean, there's two logical transitions. There's that one. And then there's people who come from product who understand product really well. They're very technical, but they they have an eye for marketing. And then you've got the other side where it's a marketing person who has an eye for product. So they can both dive in from either direction. 
That makes sense. A product person who has a little bit of taste. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. A little flavor. A little style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Andy, you yourself made this transition. Can you maybe tell us some of the, I don't know how long it took to get from this role to that role, from the comms and the director of marketing to now I'm officially a product marketer. But can you talk through maybe some of the challenges and the things you had to overcome during all those interviews? Yeah, I think the hardest part for me was just getting the point to land that I was worth the risk because you're you're immediately seen as a little bit risky because you're not a product marketer on paper. They look at you on paper and I had the benefit of having the generalist role first, which helped a lot because then I was talking about product. It wasn't the only thing I was doing, but it was something that I was doing. So you have to really focus on, I had to really focus on anyway, on how I was positioning product, how I was getting involved with SMEs. I did focus a lot on that for my transition because without name dropping them and showing what I was doing with them, I wouldn't have had much to stand on. And that is a challenge. Not because I couldn't do it, but on paper, it's like, does this guy really know how to do product marketing? That was the biggest problem for me. And I talked too much. <laughs> so on that, did you have, uh, do you have currently favorite resources or frameworks that not necessarily cybersecurity specific, but that helped you with this transition into product marketing? A little bit. Like, I mean, you know me, Maria, I'm the one who is like, you were talking about not having time for anything. And then people were sending you books. And I was like, don't try to read a book if you don't have time. Reading a book when you don't have time is a bad idea, right? So I just focused on what I knew more than what I didn't know in the transition period. One time early on, right after one of my two layoffs, I saw this job posting and they asked in the application process, which three categories of the pragmatic framework are your strongest and weakest three categories? And I thought that was really interesting. And part of the reason I thought that was interesting is because at that point, I was like, I've never heard of the Pragmatic Institute. Like, I didn't even know what it was. All right. That just shows you my ignorance there. But but I went to it. I was like, this is pretty cool. And I did use that. Prior to that, I did get a little bit involved with the Product Marketing Alliance. The PMA is a helpful resource. There's everything from super beginner stuff to very, very advanced stuff and everything in between. And some of their networking and virtual events are pretty good. So those are some of the resources I used. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. It's interesting. The question was, which three parts are you strong in and which three parts are you weak in? Because also product marketing is a very wide field, isn't it? Like there's so many different sub roles in product marketing. And now you're a product marketer, Andy, maybe you could explain a few of those, right? Like obviously content writer, content writers, probably a good transition into a product marketer who heavily focuses on content writing. But there's other roles in product marketing as well, is there not? Well, yeah, there definitely is. I mean, for example, one of the other members of the society early on posted a job. This this last time I was in, in my in a job hunt, 
posted this job and I reached out to him and he's like, this is a super technical role. And I appreciated that because there are more technical product marketing roles where they're almost more in the product category than in the marketing category. Like if you look at their level of knowledge and how they're communicating and who in the customer org they're communicating with, it's a different animal. And if your strength is content, for example, you do want to try to find a role that focuses heavily on content writing. You know, that will usually be in the job description. Like they'll include content, working with SMEs, all that classic stuff that's kind of related. And that was kind of the sweet spot I was looking for because that's the side I'm on. And I think that there's probably a graduating scale there. You know, it's, it's, you've got some that lean more heavily towards, towards technical and some that lean pretty far away from technical. You know, you're almost really just kind of a content person like that's got product marketing in front of their title. Good for you also. (laughs) If you're able to do the fun content marketing and be a product marketer, right? So, But I think your observation speaks to a bigger thing. With all these reductions in staff and people cutting back and stuff, we've seen this trend in the market where the exit is not the immediate focus right now, profitability is the immediate focus. And so people are cutting back on the roles that they feel don't impact revenue very closely. And so what that does is that puts a consolidation of function, marketing functions onto the people who are left. And I think that product marketing has become more and more of almost like a generalist role. And I think that's why generalists can be really successful in the role because product marketers could be literally building campaigns, writing emails, not just writing content pieces for a SME, but getting more into like the nitty gritty marketing functions that are associated with that product and managing it almost like a portfolio. So rather than being like the marketing manager for the whole marketing org, which is probably a CMO or a VP of marketing or something like that is serving that function, like kind of the overseer of all of marketing and the one who takes it up to the powers that be, you have these kind of owners, kind of like a product owner on the technical side, but it's like the product marketing owner that owns everything within their swim lane. Hi there. My name is Sean Matson. And I head up digital strategy at Checkpoint Software. We use Hushly as our primary demand platform. We use it to remove gates, we use it for our landing pages, and we use it for our resource hub. And it has improved our conversion rate by 5x. I've seen that too, because I have seen, so the classic go-to-market, two-person marketing team, when you're like, all right, we're going to put some fire behind marketing is a product marketer and a demand gen person, right? The classic... Maria disagrees because I know you always put an ops person in there, but like the classic enterprise go to market, like selling cyber products Mm -hmm. is product marketer and demand gen person. And I have also seen recently, and I don't know if it's a trend or if it's just where we are right now in the economy, first marketer hire, not a VP of marketing, a product marketer, just alone product marketer. You are the marketer for the company. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. You mentioned demand gen is one of that core team, a lot of times if you don't have mops, 
in a separate role, the man gen usually takes the mops stuff within all of that. I rarely see product marketing being super hands-on in operations and thank God building nurture stuff. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, it should actually change. That's my opinion because seriously, it would make the product marketer more rounded and more generalist, right? You said that the generalists do really well. Imagine how powerful that product marketer could be if they know how to build their own reports in Salesforce to understand software sales versus services sales, and then understand where the demo requests are coming from. If they're running a free trial, Mm -hmm. they need to be able to report on the success of that program. You know, like it makes a lot of sense that they need to learn that skill too. I agree with that. I think the part of it that I'm more responding to is knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are and knowing what you like to do versus what you don't like to do. And MOPS is like, I'm so grateful that there's MOPS people out there because just like I'm glad that there's EMTs because I would faint if I went to a car accident, but an EMT can go there and take care of that person. It's sort of like the same thing. Like I'm so glad that there's MOPS people because I know enough to be dangerous, but maybe more dangerous to myself than anyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Dangerous to the organization. Like, where did all of our reports that we had set up go? Oopsies. Yeah. (laughs) Oops, I sent an email to all this segment. (laughs) Like, this should not have said that. (laughs) And it said test in the subject line. (laughs) Yeah. And then instead of blaming the intern, we're like, yeah, the product marketer is not good at yeah. HubSpot. Yeah, so yeah, he's a product we marketer. like block their act. Not a mobs guy. Yeah, but no, I think to the point I was making earlier about being a generalist, I agree with that. Like having some understand, even having an understanding of it is a step above some traditional product marketers who are very much in nothing against anyone but like like a truly traditional product marketer has a very specific function and there's really not a lot that's tied to like the marketing operations and like the logistics of delivery and reporting you know what i mean it's very much about the product itself makes sense andy could maria be a product marketer Mm. that's a good question i'm gonna say yes overall because i know maria And so I know that she could. Now, could everyone who does demand gen be a product marketer? Probably not. But I think that especially demand gen folks who are part of those smaller teams where they start to bridge some of the other functions of like a comms person, like a lot of demand gen folks handle social media and they do like all the, especially the paid social media campaigns and stuff like that. If you're able to build those, then there is a chance that you would be able to take some of that because you're writing and positioning to key segments and you're using words, terminology and technology benefit in, in that messaging. So I don't see why you couldn't that's my hot take on that. Your hot take is very nice. It's like demand gen. Your hot take is yeah, demand gen could be product could, could, could transition into product marketing too. <laughs> but but I think I don't think it's not very spicy. Andy. Okay, well I'll make it spicier. I don't think it's as clean of a bridge into product marketing as somebody that's on the content or comm side, just because it doesn't get as granular into the product. I could see that. 100%. And you're right. There is a little bit of a 
not a, a bridge to repeat what you said, but there is a lot of ICP and persona work that's done on the demand gen side just to understand how to create an audience for a particular ad segment, right? And that, of course, that is kind of like that joining point between product marketing and demand gen. But I do agree. I wish I had more time to dive deep into the products. I wish I had more time to talk to customers, maybe even listen to demo recordings. I want to do more of that. I do a little bit of it, but I would love for that to be a big part of my week as a demand gen person. Yeah. And some of the tools like at my current company, we use Gong. We record most customer interactions and prospect calls and stuff. So we have the benefit of going back and listening to those and taking advantage of the questions feature that Gong has, where you can see all the questions, who asked them, at what point they asked them, who's talking. And that's really useful. If you don't have access to that, it makes it a lot harder because, you know, I used to ask salespeople back in the day when I was first getting into this, can I just be a fly on the wall and you can just tell the customer I'm in the note taker? Because I just wanted to listen to the conversation, hear how we're positioning the demo, hear what's being covered, what questions are being asked by the customer, like what's not clear about the demo, what's not clear about our product that we can make more clear in our explanation and a description and get into that. And there's a lot of timing that goes into that, especially if you're dealing with a big distributed team that's all over the place, different time zones and all that stuff. And trying to make that work, it's tough. So having the recordings were really nice. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So Andy, before we go to our game, we had noodled, as we do in society, on some other topics that you could talk about. So I'm bringing up notes from our scoping call from like seven years ago. You know, since you have, I know you're a product marketer now, but since you used to be a comms person, you had this really interesting perspective on making the small fry look bigger with comms. And this is actually spicy. This was a spicy thing you said. You said startups don't need a marketing program. They need a comms program instead. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's something I still believe in to some degree. I'm coming around a little bit. Partially because here I am, like I was like, other than the CMO, I was the first hire at my company as a product marketer. So to the larger conversation that we've had, I am coming around to that idea. But ultimately, I think that you don't really market to someone who doesn't know who you are. Like you can talk to them and you can like say that you can help them. But if they don't know you, then they don't really inherently trust you. And you build trust through like a good comms program where you're taking advantage of the experts that you do have on your staff and you're amplifying their kind of presence in the market. And then that all comes back to your org. And if you can do that successfully, you can actually start building a pipeline. Then you bring in a marketing person who can actually take advantage of that pipeline instead of the other way around. Because if you've got somebody building a pipeline, but you've got three salespeople that are like covering the entire United States and they're like finding their own leads, I mean, it takes forever. But if you flip that on, a, on its head, focus on comms, focus on awareness and just getting interested eyes on your website, then you can start collecting a lot more leads when you do have somebody there to actually perform the marketing function. 
years ago, I'm going to tell you a little story. You like stories, right? We love stories, right. especially if they're spicy, controversial. Right. It's spicy. It's not controversial per se. Years ago, I don't even remember the name of the band anymore. All right. But I lived in Michigan and I lived in this neighborhood that was kind of like, you know, where all the hipsters hung out, where the cool coffee shops and bars so, and stuff were. So you're trying to tell us, so you're trying to brag about how cool yeah. you are, Andy, how, were, what I'm hearing. How cool I was. Yeah. Like, like okay. 30 years so, ago. So... <laughs> Not that long ago, but a while ago. So all of a sudden, these stickers, it was like a bumper sticker, started showing up all over the place on light posts and on the back of stop signs and, and on you know electrical boxes all over this neighborhood. And nobody knew what it was. And you would be walking down the street and you'd hear people talking about like, what is that? It was just a word. It was just one word. It meant nothing. This was before URLs. This was a long time ago, right? So there was no URL. There was no visit this or anything. It was just just the name. And everyone was curious about it. And this went on for months where you just saw these stickers everywhere and nobody knew where they came from. And then one day you saw the name on the playbill of the local bar, like this band was going to play. And there was a line down the street and around the corner. Nobody had ever heard them. Nobody knew who was in the band. Nobody knew what they sounded like, what kind of, even what kind of music they played. They didn't even know what genre they were. And there was a line around the corner. Like it was bananas. It was like the most simple awareness campaign ever. Because it piqued people's curiosity. If you can do that, you're on to something. That sounds like a Banksy style. You've heard of Banksy, that artist that just does crazy things all yeah, over the world without, like you know, without his name on it. People yep, know it's him, yep. right? That's so Yeah, awesome. it was very, very clever. And I've never, obviously never forgotten it, despite my advanced age. And I just kind of have always taken that example with me and tried to use it in different ways. And I think that with a good comms program, like I said, a couple years ago, you can punch well above your weight with a good comms program. You can't do that with a marketing program. That's my hot take. I like it. What was on the bumper I don't remember any. I, like, I don't even... Oh, boy. Was, <laughs> if I ever get back, I'm sure there's still some of those stickers like stuck on things. I, I have to look it up, but... The band was around for a little while and then they broke up. They, you know, they were all like college kids or whatever. And they all like moved to wherever they moved to and to new hipster places and around the world. Or, and it was no more. It was, they were a flash in the pan, but their awareness campaign was perfect. Like should be in the Harvard yeah. Business Review yeah. case study I mean, or something. I mean, think about how much it cost them too. If you look at the difference between the cost of a comms program, especially if you're working primarily in earned media and stuff like that, versus what it costs to ramp up a marketing program, there's a big cost savings there too, honestly. And now for another content tip from our partner, Content Workshop, David. What do you say to people who think that storytelling in cybersecurity is too hard to do. I tell them that storytelling is industry agnostic. Humans are biologically hardwired to think, remember, and relate in the form of story. 
It's why we're able to binge a new show for eight hours a night. It's also why the best commercials don't feel like commercials. A good story, they say in advertising, is truth well told. No matter your industry, service, or product, there are endless ways to tell your story. All you need is a hero, a goal, and an obstacle. And we help cybersecurity companies achieve that. Thanks, David. Learn more about Content Workshop storytelling services for cybersecurity companies at contentworkshop.com. All right, should we play our game? What's yeah. the game? Just kidding. Want to explain the game, Maria? <laughs> yeah, I want like I want to hear you explain the game. I read about the game. I listened to the game. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say, mm, Andy. I think you know what this game is. <laughs> okay, well, for our first time listeners today, every guest that we have on the show, Gianna and I attempt to figure out what they would be doing if they weren't currently in yep. their marketing role or sales or, one. you know, whatever their job You're never going to get it. Yeah. A lot of times we, we do miserably. <laughs> Most of the times I win and Gianna throws the fit and tries to, you know, to do a redo, but then loses again. No, I'm kidding. I love you, Gianna. <laughs> This is this is like war, you know. So Maria, I'm doing so bad this year that Boosie, who is our podcast editor producer, hi Boosie, she sent me a message that was like, you know, you're doing really bad <laughs> at this game. We should add like sound effects. <laughs> and I was like, that's bow, a bow. <laughs> yeah. When are you going to officially lose so we could get you that loser's prize <laughs> or whatever we said? And I was like. You know what? That's really funny. You should do that. <laughs> but it just underscores. I just want a sash to just walk around Cyber Marketing Con later this year, like podcast that game winner. That is a winner. sassy I idea. Like, I love that around. one. Right? Okay. I think I want that. Like a shiny one with like gold letters on it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And diamonds. Lots of diamonds. Mm. Diamonds. Diamonds. Yes. Right? I mean, come on. <laughs> Okay, so Gianna, do you want to go first at your guess? Yeah, and we have to kick. There's Andy. What careers have you had that we can't? I know marketing. Have you done anything else? Well, I worked in the food service industry for a long time. That's how I made my break into marketing years ago. But I started on like the operation side, like managing restaurants and service. Okay. Oh, so Maria is gonna lose because she can't say owning a restaurant. Ah, no, I'm going to lose. I know it already. Okay. So Andy, I could cheat because I know about you and I know because we're friends and you've been a member of the society forever. And I know that you have bees and you also do ceramics. So I'm not going to say potterist, which is not a word. And I'm not going to say farmer, even though my heart would go, you're making a face. So maybe I'm making the right move. I think that Andy... Would. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is tough because those are the two ones I wanted to go for. I think you'd be a stand-up comedian. Ooh. You're very funny. I could see Man. that. Definitely. Glad you think I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, All my right. turn. Andy, you give me teacher vibes. Um, I think you hmm. could be like a high school English teacher. You know, you're strong and calms. I could see the passion there for that. You would be that high school English teacher that has a huge impact on kids and they go on to like, you know, like English or go on to careers of teaching, something like that. I don't know. Those are both interesting. Maria's closer. I mean, you're both wrong, but 
but Marie is closer. <laughs> I did think about that. But like if I wasn't doing this, if I was started over, I would actually probably be an archaeologist. Yeah. <gasps> I've always wanted yeah. to be an archaeologist. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. That's, that's so cool. That's like this thing that I'm very, very interested in it. And I might still do it if I ever get the opportunity to maybe retire a little young. That would be something that I would absolutely pivot to. Yeah. But I will tell you, Maria, that originally when I was in college, I was an English major and I was considering going on to teach college level literature. That was an interest for a little while, but archaeology is something that's interested me since I was a kid. Love it. Love it. Well, we both did miserably today. I would say that. They were both educated guesses. I'm going to throw you bones. Like They were both good. They were good. Oh, bones. Bones. From the archaeologist. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Andy will be here every week. Waka waka. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that bees are a cool hobby, but I wouldn't want to do that for a living. You don't want to deal with a million like swarming bees for your career? Have have either of you seen the article in Vice about men of a beekeeping age? You should look that up. I will look that up. Many beekeepers are older, you know, 60s and above. Mm -hmm. This is not what you think. It's absolutely hilarious. And I want you to look it up and I want everyone here to look up this concept of men of a beekeeping age. You know, right after they think about the Roman Empire, they're going out to their beehives. There you go. So we'll include that in the show notes. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Andy, for being on the show today. This was an amazing conversation. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners for being such loyal friends to the podcast and to Gianna and I. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet and give us as many stars as possible and tell your colleagues in marketing about the show. And if you want to be on the show as a guest, Gianna, tell them what to do. Just email podcast at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com. And it's also in the show notes. So just click or copy paste there. Okay. (laughs) Don't memorize that. (laughs) Hit us up on LinkedIn. We're there too. That is the way. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Andy, again. Thanks, guys. See you soon.